This episode of Jude Talking to Me was recorded under lockdown conditions. Rachel Krieger. And I'm Philip Simon. We are two Jewish comedians. I'm Orthodox. And I'm Reform. And this is the chat show that recreates the sensation of finding yourself on the miscellaneous table at your cousin Hannah's bat mitzvah. It doesn't matter how entertaining you are, all anyone will be talking about afterwards is the catering. Each week we'll bring you two of our favourite funny Jews to chat about their lives and experiences growing up and how much Jewishness plays a part. Are they salt beef on rye or Big Mac and fries? Welcome to Jew Talking to Me. So, Philip, have you had a particularly Jewish week? This week there's been a lot of talk about easing lockdown and expanding our social bubbles, which is something I've said I'm not very comfortable about at the moment. I found myself using diplomatic phrases to kind of justify my position. So I say things like, oh, everyone's got to work with what's right with them and you won't be able to please everyone. Uh, however strict you think you're being, there'll always be someone who takes it more seriously than you. The way I feel about social distancing is pretty much very similar to the way I feel about being kosher and how observant we are as Jews. So you mean like how some people have one rule for when they're at home and another rule for when they eat out? Yeah. Or uh, another rule when they're like not in their local area and they're not going to bump into somebody they know? Yeah. Or like people have another rule for when they're on holiday and still they cross paths with their rabbi who is also on holiday. Right. Yes. So pretty much we're just making it up as we go along. It's going to be more for some and not enough for others. And that is the way that you just keep kosher or stay alert. How about you, Rachel? How, how Jewish has your week been? My husband and I love a book set and we've been watching this show. It's a Israeli sort of comedy drama called Srugim. It's basically friends, but set in Jerusalem. And all the main characters are modern Orthodox like me. I have never, ever seen anybody on television who actually lives my lifestyle. But the weirdest aspect of Srigim for me is that it's set in my parents' neighbourhood where they live in Jerusalem. So I recognise literally every road anyone walks down and every location. And I've got loads of friends who live around there and pretty much most of them have been extras in the show at some point. So in fact, actually, one of the main characters' flats is literally next door to my parents' building. So every episode that I'm watching, I'm half expecting my mum and dad to be kind of wandering down the road in one of the shops. It's a bit like, you know, if somebody made you a spoofy Stenders video for your birthday and they set it in your own road and use all your own family as the Mitchells. I've stayed with your parents in, uh, in Jerusalem and I, I can't believe I missed out on being cast in this epic comedy drama i think i would have been great as random guy who stays for one night but spends most of the time trying to remember where he parked that is exactly what happened but rachel this show isn't all about your family it's not even all about us we've got some guests we need to get onto the show first up is an award-winning writer broadcaster performer and comedian she's also an ex-academic ex-corporate lawyer and a sort of banjo player it's alice fraser hello how are you Fine, thank you. It occurs to me, I just said a sort of banjo player, like there's different breeds of banjo, <laughs> uh, when I think probably what, what I meant was you're sort of a banjo player. I mean, there are sort different sorts of banjos. You've got your five strings, you've got all sorts of different banjos, including those weird ones that are strong like guitars and uh, for cheetahs. Uh, so <laughs> it's a perfectly legitimate way to introduce me. Oh, that's good. I was, I was worried I was assuming that all banjos look alike and I was going to be some kind of <laughs> horrendous outcast. Uh, they, all, they all do look alike, but they have pivotal differences. <laughs> Alice, welcome to the show. Uh, tell us, how would you self-define in terms of your Judaism? Nominal at best. My dad's side of the family is the Jewish side, so I'm not... I, I'm not technically Jewish, but my grandmother, I grew up with my grandmother um, and she was very Jewish, Holocaust survivor, had that sort of conflicted relationship with her Judaism. 
which was that she liked to be Jewish, but she would do it in a sort of a slightly sneaky way and she'd always disclaim responsibility. So she'd she'd find it very important to make, you know, a proper Shabbat dinner, but she'd say, it's because your uncle wants me to or whatever it happens to be. So Alice, what would you say is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently? I'm staying at the moment with my dad and my twin brother and his wife and their baby have also come along. So I'm living in that extended family situation of everyone uh, living on top of each other and, and showing each other love through food. So we're all cooking <laughs> different things for each other and it's great. What have you been cooking? What haven't I been cooking? I made some goulash the other day. Um, we had... We're making breakfast my uh, brother's wife just made us an uh, indian dal you know Ooh. all sorts of things oh, I'm, amazing I'm, I'm getting hungry now i think we should bring on our next guest next up we have one of the most prolific and successful writers work in the uk today who juggles writing books tv series films plays and journalism he's written over 40 books including the best-selling teen spy series Alex Ryder, and was even awarded an OBE. we got so much in common. It's Anthony Holloway. <laughs> Alice and Rachel, hi. Anthony, how how would you describe yourself as a Jew? Uh, well, I, I noticed in your introduction, you said you like to meet funny Jews. And I can tell you straight away that in 60 odd years, nobody has ever described me with those two words. Um, <laughs> I'm not a great Jew, I've got to be honest with you. <clears throat> it's hard to avoid, uh, with a name like Horowitz, sort of Judaism is a sort of a fairly obvious attachment. But, but you know, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not observed. I'm not religious. Uh, I would say that I'm 95% a culinary Jew. I love that idea, the culinary Jew. The name thing is fantastic. My my name, Alice Fraser, is from my father, who's Michael Fraser, which is from his father, whose name was Adolf Friedenberg, (laughs) who was a Czechoslovakian Jewish man, and he escaped during World War II and uh, went to London and made ball bearings for the RAF in London. And uh, they came up to him one day and they said, uh, Adolf, because obviously it was before the name Adolf became unpopular in the Jewish community. Mm. Uh, That's a joke. It was at exactly the same time as the name Adolf (laughs) became I've, they said we love the ball bearings, but uh, we do not like signing off the invoices to uh, a name that sounds uh, so crowdy. So he changed it to the most Anglo name he could think of, which was Andrew Peter Fraser. Yeah, of course, a lot of Jewish families changed their names when they came to England to make them more English. And I often wonder what my family's name was uh, before they changed it to Horowitz. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had a situation in my family that uh, my uncle came here at the beginning of the war, my great uncle, and he joined up and he was told he has to change his name in case he was captured his name was Birnbaum uh, his surname and he asked for advice what he should change it to and it was suggested uh, a similar name Bentley and over the years uh, he did a lot of charity work or whatever and eventually he was invited to the Queen's Garden Party and someone introduced him to like a lord and lady whoever and obviously they didn't call him Walter Birnbaum because he hadn't been that for many years they introduced him and said um, this is Walter Bentley and the person apparently replies oh, are you a Surrey Bentley or a Sussex Bentley? And he said, no, I'm a Bentley from Frankfurt, I'm mine. <laughs> that's his story. So, uh, Ansi, what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently? I guess the biggest thing that actually sort of dragged me into the world of, of Judaism was a, 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 my first ever Zoom shiver. So not exactly the happiest of occasions. A very, very old friend of, of my family uh, passed about a week or two ago, and I had to do the shiver on Zoom because this was a you know, lockdown, obviously. But what mm-hmm. was weird about this experience was, it was really rather embarrassing and awful. I have very poor internet here and everything froze. I could see everybody at the shiver and all the family, but I'm not sure they could see me and everyone was, and I got this awful feeling that I was the one who had died. It was my shiver. 
I've not yet experienced a Zoom shiver, but I have experienced every Zoom conversation we've had, which starts with, can you can you hear me? I, I can't see you. And that to me is what you don't want to be hearing at a Zoom shiver. We're operating across a variety of time zones today. So uh, we're recording it in morning for us. And I think it's evening for you, isn't it, Alice, in Australia? Yes, it, it makes me very concerned about like what everybody's eaten, <laughs> like that everyone should have. I hope it, we've had breakfast. I hope you have you had dinner. Yes, I have. Yes. Excellent. This is a part of the show we like to hear about people's food memories, like anything connected to a Jewish meal, what you ate or what happens at the meal. So if we go to Anthony first, uh, what is your biggest Jewish food? memory? Well, I have so many of them. My childhood was just one meal after another. And I can go from, I don't know, all of it, the chopped liver, the salt beef, the luckers, the smoked salmon, the holler bread, the eggs and onion, the vorsch, the viennas. This to me is my childhood and my life. But if, if I've got one memory, it is of something, it may sound repulsive to you, but when I was a boy, my we used to fight over the chicken soup to get the unfertilized egg. You, in, years and years ago, the unfertilized egg in the chicken was boiled by, by my mother in the chicken mm -hmm. soup. And it was, the. I don't know if any of you have this, this shared memory. But totally. The, but do you know why you can't get them anymore? The EU. It became an EU regulation, but they couldn't anymore be provided. And although in the last argument I was always a Remainer, the only argument for leaving the EU was that they banned those eggs. So I'm totally with you. They were like the golden treasure in the chicken soup when I was growing up. And I'm going to absolutely change your life now, Anthony. There are a few kosher butchers where you can still get those, but they can't sell them independently of anything else. So they are like a freebie that comes with the chicken soup bits and pieces pack for making a soup. So there is, uh, and they don't get them all the time. They have them at certain times and the rumour goes out, like my community where I live, the rumour goes out. They've got the eggs, they've got the eggs and uh, people crowd on that butcher shop. So afterwards, like, I don't want to get, I don't want to tell everybody on the podcast because then obviously there won't be any for me, but I will privately message you next time I know that they're in stock. I want to say it was worth doing this broadcast just for this exchange. First of all, the empathy, the knowledge that somebody else in the world who knows about this extraordinary treat and secondly that phone number what i love is we're sort of four years on from the referendum and we're still finding <laughs> genuine reasons why people might have voted one way or the other <laughs> and uh, alice have you got a particular jewish food memory you'd love to share again i have so many uh, jewish food memories mainly r related to my grandmother feeding us just enormous quantities of food mm. uh, so i remember quite often my brother was very uh, energetic my twin brother very energetic kid and he would fall asleep in his chicken soup uh, of an evening the moment he had <laughs> enough food to kind of fill the hole he'd, he'd fall asleep but I think probably the most striking memory was my grandmother having made a lasagna and she brought out the lasagna it was probably that big like a big you know one of those massive ones and she put it down in front of me and then she went back to the oven and got one for Henry as well <laughs> that was amazing I think yes, I might be related to your grandmother yeah she used to make us for our birthday she used to make us this incredible cake that was uh, I think it had 18 eggs and no flour it was all hazelnut meal and mm. uh, my, my twin brother and my birthday would be on the 7th of January and she'd make one of them for us each and you know, <laughs> decorate it you know extravagantly with you know whatever she decided was the theme for that year and we would, you know, we'd have friends over, people would just have a go at this cake. It was so dense and thick and there was just no way you would finish it. So we would have that for breakfast 
for the whole of January. Uh, I love the idea that there are certain um, certain kinds of injuries that are specific to Jews, you know, like drowning by chicken soup. Uh, like your brother. <laughs> when I was nine years old, my mother dropped, oh, I was ill in bed, I remember this, I was ill in bed with some minor thing and my mother dropped a bowl of soup and she served it onto me. It burned the state of Israel all down my stomach. I <laughs> <laughs> that was nine years old. You could also have injury by bagel knife. I think that was probably another common one. Last year in Greece, a steak knife fell off the table. I tried to catch it by closing my knees. My left knee caught the hilt and drove the blade into my right knee. Within five or ten seconds, my entire right leg was crimson with blood. And the entire Ooh. village, come and have a look at this English tourist dying in the middle of the village. How did you react in that moment? Because, you know, we all like to think that we react calmly in situations of great crisis. Were you cool as a cucumber or did you panic? It was all a little bit surreal because about at that moment, as I'm bleeding to death, a, a, a group of tourists on horseback came past as well, through the village of square, all pointing at me and over there bleeding to death. And also I speak a certain amount of Greek, so I'm trying to find the words to explain what has just happened, not knowing the Greek for, at that time, for flesh, Osaka. Sanguination. And, uh, and, and yeah, all that sort of stuff. So my, I, I think largely I was calm. My main concern was that the meal should continue. And maybe that's quite Jewish. I didn't want to disturb Everyone have a nice time. Don't look at me, was my sort of main reaction. I think that's very much the, the Jewish and the British <laughs> approach is let's not cause a scene, let's just carry on. Nothing to see we, here. We remain sanguine in the face of sanguination. This is already feeling like one of the most positive episodes we've ever recorded, which is great, but does make my next question to you a bit more difficult because we're, we're trying to work out where the rifts are, where, where people get upset with each other, where are the broiguses? In your life you know for me and my family it's about whether we say bagel or bagel but i'm wondering whether you have any broiguses in your families that you want to bring to light as well alice how about you this is more of an, an historical one which is that my dad is a uh, a buddhist now he's a jubu part of the om shalom brigade and uh, when he became a Buddhist, he went, you know, he joined up with a, a group of sort of specific Burmese Buddhists. And my grandmother was 100% sure that it was a cult. And so <laughs> she sent her old friend who was in Australia at the time. So he ended up settling in London. There were about five of them that got through the war together. But her friend, uh, Ferenc, she sent him to drive dad up for his first meditation course and uh, Dad did not know this at the time, but he found out later that uh, Ferenc had been equipped with a, uh, a pistol just in case. <laughs> it, was, it was no joke, Ferenc. He was in the he was in the resistance and everything. Um, wow! But uh, it was all right. He, he came home and he reassured Granny that it wasn't a cult. That's brilliant. I used to go to summer camps and things, and my parents would be like, "Well, the food won't be that great, so here's a food package for you." <laughs> <laughs> Me armed for war. Also, when uh, when during Vietnam, my dad was very on the young side, but they were he was I think seventeen uh, when they were doing the draft in Australia, and my grandmother had again one of her old war buddies set up to break both my dad's legs in case he got drafted oh. <laughs> completely completely without my dad's consent she told him that that was what was going to happen that he was going to be um one one night that uh, her friend max would show up with some anesthetic and just break his legs in his sleep oh my goodness i mean that is jewish mothering plus isn't it really overprotective jewish mothering to a, a degree i've never heard before my I granny think. yeah she was a bit, she did a lot of stuff in the war and all of her stories had these like 
elisions in them, you know, and then we acquired a Nazi uniform. My grandma did an awful lot in the war for the Germans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am probably the only one here who's actually written a book about their grandmother. It's called Granny, and it's about my mother's mother, who was a demon of the First Order. Um, one of my very earliest books in order to exorcise her. You know, I think the only way to get rid of somebody in that who's in your subconscious and in your conscious head is to make jokes about them. So I wrote a funny mm -hmm. book about her. She was just the, the meanest, nastiest, cruelest, most complaining woman in the planet. And everybody disliked her. It's one of my childhood... When I grew up, the, the big change in my life wasn't realising that Father Christmas doesn't exist. It was realising everybody hates my grandmother. Especially in a Jewish family, and when you're young, you don't actually quite get what the dynamic really is. I should have known when my parents used to hide behind the piano when she arrived, but that was... That was <laughs> Horrible, horrible is this leading into your story about a Bruegus, or is there something else that you want I don't to know. I mean, I looked at this and I thought, you know, a Bruegus is like a little row, isn't it? A little sort of discussion you have in a domestic setting. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's a sort of petty grudge that, you know, someone does over something minor and then it lasts for generation to generation. Well, my wife and I have been married for 33 years, and for 33 years I have complained about her putting dead matches back in the box. Is that a Bruegus? <laughs> Yeah. That is something people really feel quite strongly about. People do fall out. Well, we, have, we, have, we have to take counselling about it, uh, but but she won't listen to me. But that is the wrong thing to do, and it does take. A, I'm writing a book about that too. Dead <laughs> match. Another Bruegus is that she uses the matches to light scented candles, which are the biggest. Talk about burning money. That is the biggest waste of money on the planet. Candles don't even anyway, but which cost sixty pounds a time. She lights them and then she keeps the match, really. Well, I like a scented candle, but I don't like putting a match back in the box. So I feel like I'm I'm the exact middle ground. I'm quite worried that we've triggered something here for Anthony about all the tiny little things that have derailed his marriage over the years. But it's the only thing. Otherwise, it's been a success. Oh, that's good. Two children and foils war. So that's not bad. You're both writers, and Anzi, we first came across each other because I used to programme literary festivals, and I actually realised the other day that because of doing that, I now personally know quite a lot of the people uh, who are on the bookshelf behind me, like including your good self. And so in this part of the show, which we describe as Six Degrees of Conti Bacon, we'd like to explore your most interesting Jewish connection. So, Anzi, apart from, like myself, through the programming of Literary Festivals, who is the most interesting Jew that you're connected to? Well, I had to think about this, because there are an awful lot of Horowitzes. Despite it being a long name, it's actually quite a common one uh, in Romania and Russia. And my father always swore to me that I was actually a blood relative, so therefore it wasn't just a connection of a name, a blood relative of Vladimir Horowitz. You may, you may remember him. He was one of the greatest pianists who ever lived, um, born in 1903 and a great interpreter of Chopin. I played the piano and I am not a great interpreter of Chopin, but I love the thought that I am connected to that very, very great man. Indeed, as I was becoming a known writer, I was always being asked, are you related to Vladimir Horowitz? Are you related to him? It was my ambition that one day somebody would ask Vladimir Horowitz if he was related to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm and I'm sure that has happened on a regular basis. Wherever he may be. And Alice, we know each other mainly from the circuit, but who is the most interesting Jew with a direct connection to you? My granny always used to boast about the fact that she uh, was Clary Love and she was related directly by blood to Rabbi Love of Prague, who built the first robot. He built the golem back in the day. So she she was always extremely proud of that. Yeah, the Maharal. Did she... Did, uh... They passed on the instructions from generation to generation. Can you build a golem? 
is what I'm asking. <laughs> uh, that's for me to know and you to never find out. I mean, I definitely want to be on your team if like everything goes to pot. <laughs> you've got you've got skills. I've always thought I would be fine in an apocalypse because I've got woodworking skills and childbearing hips. Uh, although if there is going to be an apocalypse, as my dad keeps reminding me, it needs to happen in the next five to seven years. Apart from your childbearing hips and, and your woodworking, uh, if it did come down to Jews versus zombies, what, what could you bring to the table, Alan? <laughs> Uh, I can climb a tree quite fast. Um, I can I can swim underwater. I had a quite an active childhood, so I feel like if if there was sort of it was if it was an action apocalypse, I would be okay. So that's great. You could climb the tree and then whittle it into something that could be <laughs> against the zombies. Uh, Anthony, what what about you? What what could you do in a zombie apocalypse? Years and years ago, in my gap year, rather bizarrely, I became a, a cowboy, a jackaroo in Australia, and I learned how to kill cattle and how to turn them into all their constituent parts. I must be one of the very few authors who actually know how to turn a, a living cow into, you know, the fillet, the rump, the sirloin, and the rest of it. And I guess that might come in useful because I could I, I could I could hide and I could feed my 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 family with with animals and, and chop them up. And that's so uh, that that's that's all I can offer you this. I am should add I am now demi veg I'm pretty much a vegetarian but but it, but if push comes to shove and I am in recluse somewhere in a farm, I can feed the family. My dad was a jackaroo at one point. In Australia, I wonder if you jackarooed in similar place. Where were, where was he? Which part of Australia? I don't know. He went all up and down, all over the place. Um, I was in I was in the Northern Territory in a place called Anthony Lagoon, uh, curiously. And in the last chapter of Granny, the book I mentioned earlier, the hero escapes from his ghastly grandmother and goes to live happily for the rest of his life in Anthony Lagoon. <laughs> My dad once got uh, blood poisoning from a piece of barbed wire when he was jackarooing and uh, had to be helicoptered out, you know, his whole hand swelled up and they had to, you know, flush it all out and fix it up. And my grandmother uh, prayed, you know, she wasn't particularly uh, religious or she, she had a very fraught relationship with God, as many of those survivors did. Uh, but she promised for some reason that if my dad survived, she would never eat on Mondays again. <laughs> and then he got That's better true. and then she never ate on Mondays again. She'd made a promise. In Jewish food culture, we've got the concept of parav, which is like we've got things which are meaty and delicious, and you've got things which are dairy and also delicious. And then you've got parav, which is sort of neutral. It, it just sort of anonymously hangs out the side of the plate like a groupie backstage. So uh, you're obviously people who have quite strong opinions. I'm just curious to know if there's anything that other people feel super strongly about, but you're like, man, a bit parav about that. Like Alice, anything for you? There's quite a lot of things that I feel uh, about. I mostly don't care about most pop culture. I don't care if you're watching reality TV. I don't care about like the Kardashians. If you like them, fine. It's not. It's not a thing for me. Quite a lot of people feel like that actually about Kardashians. Um, and what about you, Anthony? I'd start with the Star Wars franchise. I mean, you know, there are millions of people who love that. It's never done anything for me. Jazz, the uh, same reality television. Um, and. I, I suppose coffee, actually, coffee and coffee bars. I've never understood the, the coffee culture, as it's called. This, this drink strikes me as completely absurd um, and not even very nice tasting. And, uh, and, and frothing up milk in that way and putting it up is, is really quite rather disgusting. Uh, and I could certainly live without coffee. I also don't drink coffee. I, I, I'm a tea person. Green tea and white tea I drink a lot of because as a writer, and I'm sure you're the same, Alice, when you're working, we need something to, to punctuate the work. We're sitting here at these desks for a lot of time creating material. You want to go away and have something. And and for me, it used to be cigarettes, but obviously you can't do that without sort of dying. So now it's green tea and white tea, which I drink in enormous. Mm. Did you know I have a podcast called Tea with Alice that you now have to come on? I Listen, I was angling for an invitation. I've done all my research. No, 
But it's a great, it's a great. Unfortunately, I also have biscuits with it, so that's another killer. That's sort of all that cholesterol. <laughs> But, you know, you have oh, to have something. You have to have a vice. I think the coffee thing I do kind of understand. Rachel and I work in coffee shops a lot. That's kind of where, when we're allowed well, out. Free the Rona. That's where we would spend most of our time writing and uh, working on various projects, either together or uh, independently. Um, but I never quite understood the culture of coffee, going out for coffee, especially you'd see school kids now after school hanging out at their local Starbucks, having a coffee. I think... To us, we'd hang out at the bus stop and maybe go to the sweet shop for some Frutella. And now they're going for a full-on caffeine fix. Can I just hours. say that? I think that's more to do with you being quite antisocial rather than anything to do with coffee. Because, like, I just want to say that Philip's nightmare is talking to anybody in the coffee shop. He thinks that is the absolute worst possible thing. And I'm very chatty. And so if somebody... What I feel is if something happens that would cause you to comment, you should comment because it's weird and not to comment. Does that make sense at all? So like, for example, <laughs> we were once in a cafe together and these two women got in a massive fight and we were sitting next to um, other people because we treat it as our office, but funny enough, it isn't our office. And the person next to us caught my eye, you know, we caught each other's eye. And so we commented on what was happening. And Philip's like, stop talking to her, stop talking. He, he does not like the, he does not like the, the chatting yeah. and coffee shops um, are about chatting. Yeah, but chatting to the people you're with. You know, the coffee shops, they used to, they used to be downstairs from the brothel. And so there was a, there was at one point a, a proper demonstration by women against coffee. Uh, because their husbands would go out to the coffee shop and come back not in the mood, so they, there was a there was a quite a scientific assertion at the time that coffee caused it, uh, male impotence. Wow! Everywhere, or was that an Australian thing? Uh, that was in France back in the day. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's great. No, I, li I live a coffee shop. I live. There's one right down below us, a Starbucks. Just like that, but this is not a brothel. This show is about Jewishness. So, Anthony, what would you say is the most Jewish thing about you? I think the most Jewish thing about me is my creativity. I always think, I mean, I, I've never been that comfortable being Jewish for lots of reasons to go back to my childhood and to Sunday school and and, and loss of faith and all sorts of things. But I've always thought, but actually the the the, the angst and the and the and the tension that makes me want to write so much and never stop writing is somehow tied to my Jewishness and therefore I, I feel proud of being Jewish in the context I've really said of food but also of creativity. Alice what do you think? The thing that I feel is the most Jewish about me and it has a little bit to do with my creativity is that I have always felt that I can do whatever I want to, that I can do, that I can try anything and that I can be anyone because of that unconditional love of family that I, I think of as quite a Jewish thing that my grandmother had and that my father had and that my mother had as well. But this idea that I couldn't disappoint them. They would just, if I did something wrong, they would just have to figure out a way to still love me. Actually, you're so right, Alice, that for me too, I answered creativity, but actually what you said about family is also enormously important. The Jewish understanding of family. I have two sons, I have a wife, and, and, and we all live together in the same building, different bits of it, but but being together and never falling out and knowing, as you just said so so eloquently, that that they're always there for you. And that gives you a certain liberation and confidence. I think that's hugely significant too. That idea that you can, you know, you can be whatever you want and that they'll figure it out. There's a lot of meat made of the fact that, you know, you don't want to disappoint your Jewish parents. People disappoint their Jewish parents all the time and their mm -hmm. parents will just still love them. Or well, that's my 
and I'm sure that people have terrible families all over the place, but that's my my uh, very privileged experience. And I think mine. Well, it's almost the end of the show, but how can people find you and know about what you're doing? If you don't call, you don't write. Now's a chance for you to tell people what you're up to and where they can get hold of you on social media. I am all over the place. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. I have a daily satirical news podcast set in an alternate dimension called The Last Post. I have a weekly podcast where I talk with interesting people about difficult ideas. That's called Tea with Alice. I appear regularly on The Bugle and my special Savage and the sequel, The Resistance, which is about my Jewish grandmother, are both available on Amazon Prime. Anthony. I'm always uh, out on Twitter uh, at Anthony Horowitz. And I have my own website, anthonyhorowitz.com, which tells you sort of where I'm going, what I'm doing and, and everything else. And I have a Facebook page as well, which I haven't looked at for so long. I've forgotten what it's called, but it's there. Sadly, because of COVID, I'm not going to be doing very much touring in the next few weeks, I don't think. Uh, but uh, I do have a book coming out in August. It's called Moonflower Murders. It's a sequel to Magpie Murders, sort of a complicated mur uh, murder mystery and I'm doing lots of interviews and, and will if bookshops will let me in I'll be there signing them at one or two metres distance with long arms <laughs> This has been really really interesting and I've loved chatting with you from now on I'm always going to think of Anthony as the Jew who was stabbed in the leg in front of an audience of people on horseback and Alice as the Jew who can command a robot army <laughs> And as my grandmother used to say when she wanted to end my telephone calls you must have better things to do than talk to me and you must have better things to do than talk to us which is a good thing because sadly it's the end of this week's show. We'd like to thank our guests, Anthony Horowitz and Alice Fraser. Follow them on social media. Follow us on social media at Jew Talking without the G. And join us next time on Jew Talking to Me. Jew Talking to Me was hosted by me, Rachel Krieger. And me, Philip Simon. And it was produced by Russell Bulkins. Alice, could I just have a level from you? Can you tell me what you had for breakfast today? This morning for breakfast, I had some bread and some butter. Okay. It sounded unconvincing, but in terms of audio levels, it was great. I had an outrageously expensive smoothie from the place down the road. <laughs> <laughs>